I know a lot of folks are just pumping out content via AI. And the only thing that kind of concerns me and what I have to think about in terms of, you know, being responsible for a, a program at, at a company is we need to future proof it. So if we do this cool thing, we may get a lot of traffic early. And then if that goes away, like it's a lot bigger problem than us, you know, getting it more slowly over time. So we kind of focus on the long term. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SASSSEO. So I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Brian Samway. Brian is an Austin, Texas-based SEO professional who specializes in marketplace and product-led SEO. He currently leads the SEO team at Upwork and cut his teeth on teams at Indeed, TopTile, ThriveWorks, Software Advice, and Bankrate. Prior to getting into SEO, he spent 10 years as an army officer. Outside of work, he enjoys spending time outdoors with his wife, sons, and dog, Phoebe. Brian, welcome. Thank you, George. Happy to be here. So, I guess my first question is, how does someone jump from, like, the army to SEO? I don't see the connection, but maybe you will help me see it. Yeah, it's it's not a really easy one to make. Uh, so I spent 10 years in the Army. Um, I was an armor officer, so started in tanks as a tank platoon leader and then moved into a light reconnaissance and a cavalry squadron. So really not a whole lot of transferable skills outside of the military. Um, but I, I came back from Iraq and couldn't find a job anywhere. So uh, I graduated in 08. It's the height of the, the financial crisis. So really not the best time to kind of come out into the world. But uh I was a National Guardsman, so we were actually up-tempoed to go to Afghanistan. So everywhere I was applying for jobs, like, hey, I got to be gone, you know, five to seven days a month, and then the month of June for training, and then I got to get deployed. So I ended up doing funerals for the Army for a while. Um, and then my girlfriend at the time, now wife, got a job offer in Austin, so we moved out here. She uh, she worked at an ad agency. So after kind of selling beer and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with life, she suggested I get into PPC. And that's when I ended up at uh, Software Advice, which was later acquired by Gartner. Started doing PPC and then kind of worked really closely with SEOT. It was like, hey, what they're doing is a lot cooler than what we're doing. So kind of just 
really fell in love with it there and then uh, moved into SEO, my next role. So uh, today you work at Upwork and uh, you lead a team there. For people who have never heard of Upwork before or you know may have never used the platform, uh, can you please share a few things about Upwork, uh, what the platform does and who is the typical customer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Upwork is the world's largest work marketplace and it connects businesses with independent talent from across the globe. Uh, we serve everyone from individuals and one-person startups to large Fortune 100 enterprises with a powerful trust-driven platform that enables companies and talent to work together uh, in new ways that unlock potential. So our, our mission is to create economic opportunities so people have better lives. And it's pretty cool. I actually used Upwork as a I was a client before joining, um, but in business school, we actually needed to find a designer because we're doing kind of the product market fit in pitch competitions and needed assets created. So I actually got to experience Upwork from the client side of trying to hire a freelancer and finding just really awesome talent. Uh, the, the gal I found was uh, in Ukraine and just made it come to life. So I was a big fan of Upwork before joining um, and actually worked at a couple of competitors uh, Back in the day, I led the uh, the SEO team at TopTown to 15 or 2016 when when Upwork uh, came about after being uh, combined from Elance and Odesk. So it's basically a marketplace for people to get work done. Uh, we use Upwork, um, and um, as you as you mentioned, like we have similar experience. We some of our best contractors and people who help us with specific. Tasks. I mean, they they possess they possess very specialized knowledge on, on something. Top of mind, our Google Sits, you know, guy, um, are people who we found, you know, on Upwork. And interestingly enough, I I started on Upwork as a freelancer. I mean, many years ago, I was bidding, you know, on jobs for as little as I don't know back then three dollars per hour, right? Um, and I started there. And now I experience it as a as a like cl client customer, um, and yeah, it's it's interesting to see the kind of the the switch in in roles. So you have two years almost at Upwork. Um, what would you say are your biggest learnings so far in terms of, of SEO? Oh gosh, there's been a lot. Um, I think the biggest one that I've learned is that soft skills really matter a lot in a large kind of enterprise organization. Um, as everywhere, resources are constrained and you know critical at, at companies. So being able to kind of justify and, and acquire those resources to get the work done that you need to get done, it has to cross multiple different teams, product teams, design, just like really strong cross-functional collaborative big initiatives. And you really need to have the ability to um, work with other team members and make sure that you know, our goals are aligned especially if you don't actually own the resources. So um, when I got to Upwork, and I'll probably get into this a little bit later, but we were in a marketing department. So there was no dedicated engineering, no dedicated design. It was very much a work with these different product teams and try to get onto that roadmaps. Um, so we kind of moved that into product. And it, it made it a lot easier to get resources and get on roadmaps and actually execute. But it really doesn't matter what you know if you can't get anything done. So that's been the biggest one is um, a lot of work in those soft skills. And then organizational structure is really, it's critical in how the product is implemented. So where you are in the organization, how the SEO team actually interacts with the product itself, whether it be creating content or work on the pages, 
Um, it really matters where you sit in the organization. And then of course, relationships are everything. So the engineers that we work with, we're super close with them. We're also super close with the product management partners that we have in different product teams and can come to them and say, look, hey, we have this issue. You really need to get it fixed now or we need to get on a roadmap sooner, just whatever it happens to be. In some companies like G2, I know that SEO is under product. Is that the case with Hawkwork as well? It was. So it was a little more loosely defined when I got here. Um, one of the first changes I made and was to move us into the product organization, both officially from like cost center perspective, as well as changing our, our folks titles to, to SEO product managers and expecting that they, you know, attend all the rituals and run the SEO products like a product manager would. So they work directly with creating the PRDs, talking to the engineering, getting on the roadmap and, and executing, which is awesome. My understanding is that, uh, your SEO product team targets two different audiences and please correct me if I'm wrong. The first would be freelancers who are looking for jobs. And the second would be companies that are looking for freelancers, right? First of all, is that right? And if so, what are the challenges and unique characteristics of each of these two target audiences? Yeah, there's, that is pretty much correct. There, there are two sides, but we also have folks like you that are also can be like clients and, and talent that hires other clients. So it's, it's, what I've learned is it's really interesting how different people work. So there are, there's, there's just such a diversity in how people run their businesses or get their projects done. But essentially, yes, we do have a, a two-sided marketplace. So you do run into that chicken and egg problem of, okay, to attract freelancers, we need to have jobs. To attract clients, we need to have freelancers that work on those jobs. So it's, I think, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but we're customer zero. So there are more people working at Upwork who are freelancers full-time than there are full-time employees. So both of them, actually my team has more people who are freelancers working full-time than actual full-time employees. Um, so the talent's phenomenal. And to bring the best talent, we need to have those work opportunities. So I think as uh, understanding both sides of the market, when we build the product, we build it with empathy in mind of like, okay, I'm a freelancer who's running my business or I'm a client who needs to hire. What can I do to just reduce that friction and get people working? Um, but really interesting, um, really interesting. Can I ask you, how do you come up with things that people from both target audiences search for online? I mean, I. I some of them are obvious, like you, you will use some modifiers that work in your case, right? Uh, but how do you generally come up with, you know, all the things that uh, both target audiences are looking for online? And follow up to that would be how important is Upwork, Upwork's search engine in understanding what people need and creating pages based on these needs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we're very data-driven. So we look at Search Console very closely. That, that's one way that we kind of see what we're getting impressions for. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ahrefs and uh, shout out to Ahrefs and, and SEO Clarity for uh, research tools. So we use those quite a bit and really leverage that. But you're right, we, we do use our internal search. So people are searching for what they need. So we look at that. We have access to those queries and say, okay, well, we're seeing this trend emerge or we're seeing people search things in a certain way. So we can create those pages that answer those questions or meet that need. Um, we currently, I mean, we generate pages programmatically uh, 
any marketplace has to. So when we get to that scale, it's it's really important to kind of understand how users search and what people are actually searching for in Google. So long way of saying all of the tools that we use, but primarily it's we're really close to the market and really understand what freelancers and, and clients are are needing and are searching for. And if they search for that on Google, obviously they're going to need it not on Upwork. So that's kind of where we, we come from then. I would like to discuss programmatic SEO in a while. Before I do that, I would like to ask another question. I saw that uh, since we are a customer, I, I mean, we we saw that recently you added a category on AI. Um, I don't know if that's on the side of uh, like higher AI talent, or I, I cannot recall uh, exactly um, what this is about, but I guess my question is how did you identify that as a like as an emerging topic and something as something that people are are actually interested in and were very like fast at like getting the page or the category up there uh is that through the process that you described or is it you know some things are just like we we live in the same world right we we see that there is a, a spike in interest when it comes to ai skills yeah, as soon as generative AI came out, so we already had AI as a category. A, generative AI is a part of AI, um, but we we saw that when they released it, we the SEO team kind of knows. So we saw what happened with NFTs. We, we've seen these kind of cycles where this new technology comes and then there's just an explosion of interest. So we saw that coming and we created very specific pages for that. So I'm a really big fan of enabling SEO teams through technology uh, to be able to do things themselves, whether that's change your robots.txt or create pages or do these things without engineers, because we need to move fast. So we saw this coming when we moved fast um, to create those pages, to get those clients, which then create jobs, and then we get Google for jobs. Um, so I think we're doing very, very well in terms of AI jobs. We have, you know, several different types of pages and and ai has been a focus of upwork both in the product as well as with you know connecting clients who need those those freelancers but you're right it is challenging it's a completely new market we don't know what we don't know in terms of what people are searching so we actually leveraged our a great example is looking at our search we're saying hey we're people are looking for prompt engineers like that's something that the clients and talent are both looking for so let's create that page and it's done very well for us, but prompt engineers was not something that we were thinking of back in December. It's just something that we saw the market change. Okay, we need to create a page. So having that flexibility to kind of create these topics or these categories or these landing pages for folks is critical. But we've seen just AI-related queries increase like over a thousand percent compared to the fourth quarter of 2022 in, in Q1. Um, so there's a huge market demand, both on the client and the talent side. And I think we've positioned ourselves well to really lead in this area. But in this case, which page will you create first? I mean, is it going to be, you know, an AI jobs one so that you can get the talent or, I mean, you understand my question, right? Because yes. I want to understand it's, as you mentioned, going back to what you mentioned earlier, being a, a chicken and egg problem, um, I, I try to understand what is the starting point uh, as soon as you identify as a topic uh, as, a, as an emerging one? Yeah, the starting point for, for me personally is trying to attract clients. And the reason for that is without jobs on the platform, there are no freelancers. Um, 
there is no no upper. I mean, both sides are really critical, but I found that focusing on the supply side and ensuring that we have strong supply brings the strong talent. Um, we also have things uh, on the the talent side of the house where you know we talked about project catalog where these you know, enterprising freelancers are like, hey, I have these skills. You know, here's a set price for what the set deliverable, like I want to do that. So they create these pages and they're things that we never would have imagined, but it's like actual industry experts who know the technology and know what they're doing. They create these projects as well. So that attracts clients. The The category pages that we create also attract clients who then post jobs, which then gets sent to Google for jobs and, and bring this talent. Do you consider a freelancer creating a, a job or like a set of a package, I don't know how you call them, or a project or something like that. Do you consider that as UGC, like user-generated content? Yes. Yeah. Um, you mentioned programmatic SEO earlier, and um, I would like to hear more about that. I mean, let's say you you identify something as, a, as a, like an emerging topic, right? People are searching for that. Is there going to be a page kind of programmatically created? And if, if so, how does the process like generally looks like? Yeah, at, at this point, no. Uh, that may change in the future, but that is something that I have a lot of experience in. And we can talk a little bit about Indeed. Like this is what we did at Indeed where, you know, they're everywhere. Um, one of the reasons is they've developed a product where as you search, if there is supply, that page shows up. Um, so there are good things and bad things with that. And it, it's been, you know, four or five years, she says I've been at Indeed. But the, the power behind that is that you're creating pages as like the real time need emerges. So there's no reason to have to look at things manually or create these pages. If in the product itself, the search creates its own indexable page. The problem with that is that Google is uh, very, very strict with quality of, uh, of of your index. So that's, Panda has been something that was really difficult for a lot of different marketplaces. And some of them recovered and figured out what they needed to do and some of them didn't. But what that really, the, the big focus should be is like high quality, tight, strict control over what Google indexes, as well as tight control over what they crawl. But in the case of uh, like a marketplace like Upwork, for example, how would you define quality, right? Is it at the end of the day, quality in terms of the freelancers and like in terms of conversion optimization, so you can get the click and like the, the journey ends there and like the, the user doesn't have to go back and search for uh, like click on another result or, I mean, how do you define it on a, on a very practical level, right? Uh, especially for marketplace, because it's not like you can add a lot of text, you know, text-based content or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's um, the quality controls. I mean, that's something that's top of mind for every kind of template that we create. Um, it, yes, we can't always control what people put in there, but there are ways in the product that you can encourage people, whether like, hey, this is a required field, or we noticed that, you know, talent that create a longer description sees X percent more work, whatever. Uh, there are ways to do that, but the way that I think about quality is how much content is on the page. So like we don't, when I say quality, I mean, you don't want hundreds of thousands or millions of indexed, like parameterized 
pages that are the same that have no canonicals or no no index. Uh, but if it meets a certain content quality threshold, so those guardrails is something that you create and design into whatever page template happens to be. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by quality is like, is it robust in terms of, are they filling everything out accurately? Is it a, um, is it something where if a client or talent lands on it, they would take another action or stay on the page or kind of look further or would they say, Hey, this is empty. This is garbage. I'm out of here. I get it. Uh, you kind of touched on that. Uh, I, I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss, um, uh, Crawlability and indexation, um, and assume assume that at Upwork or you know previously Indeed, Total, and, and so on, you may have encountered such such issues and challenges uh, because we are talking about websites with you know thousands uh, of of pages. My question is, what are your learnings regarding that, and how do you optimize your crawl budget? and ensure that your most important pages will keep getting discovered, crawled, indexed, and, and ranked. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of the, the challenge of the job. So Indeed itself, I mean, it's not thousands, it's it's billions of pages. Like we're looking at hundreds of millions of pages per country, and that's 60 countries, 28 languages. Like the amount of data that we had was just massive. So I'm a big believer in looking at log data. Any company that I go to, I try my best to get that kind of load balancer log data raw extracted. Um, we currently use SEO Clarity. So that's where our log data is pushed into to kind of see what Google's doing. But it has been illuminating in terms of seeing how Google treats pages at scale. Like I have learned hard-coded parameters. No, like nowhere. It, this is the hill I'm going to die on. My teams that have worked with me, everyone can tell you I am a hardcore no parameterized URLs unless it's added on click via JavaScript because of course Googlebot doesn't click. Uh, but they get confused. Like Googlebot, everyone thinks that Google's really good at doing certain things and they're actually really good at certain things and really bad at certain things. Um, and I think crawling at scale, they can get confused by poor architecture or allowing them to crawl things that they shouldn't. So we will constantly look at what's being crawled frequency of it, uh, status codes, and there's any, you know, 300s or 400s, 500s, we look at those first, and then we look at the 200s and, okay, is it getting stuck somewhere? But we found that they would get stuck on on all kinds of stuff. Or if somebody hard-coded a parameter, they're going to index 60, 100, 150,000 different variations of our sign-up page, for example. So like fixing those issues at scale is really what helps move, uh, move our product forward in terms of performance. Can you please uh, share an example um, of like a, a URL with parameters that would lead to you know Google not following that URL or not like crawling it uh, as often as other URLs that may be a bit cleaner, let's say? Yeah, I mean we saw this all the time. With at any company, there's hundreds of different teams working on the product itself, and if they don't know, for example, like we would block a parameter, say add indeed. Um, and then people would add that parameter thinking that, hey, this is how we're going to track and not knowing that it was actually blocking uh, Google from crawling it. We also saw a lot of weirdness with like language and location. So a lot of my job at Indeed was figuring out what happened. So for example, our, our US site started showing up in the index with Spanish title and like a Spanish meta description. 
and we had no idea what happened. I think Google's drunk, but turns out that we added a link, the engineers added a link, and part of the um, language preferences were set in that parameter. So instead of adding it on click, it was added hard-coded, and then Google would crawl that, got confused, and uh, showed our Spanish for our English site. It was interesting. What other uh, things do you focus on regarding technical SEO and, you know, general technical hygiene for uh, for a website? Yeah, so I'm going to go back go back to the Indeed answer. Um, we, we really focus on on quality. Um, so having user generated pages, like a lot of the job is figuring out how it's going to be abused. And a great example of this was, I think in the summer, new summer, 2015 or 2016, they had the largest spam attack that I have ever seen. Um, it wasn't covered in any of the SEO media, but somehow spammers in, um, I don't even know where they were, but they created billions of pages across the internet on sites like Facebook, uh, Google Maps they got, they got Dell, all of these places, they figured out indexation thresholds for these really high authority domains and they started posting things. And if the title came up, they had like the Facebook uh, customer service phone number or Cash App customer service phone number. And they would use Cyrillic characters and all these different things. Google actually picked that up at scale and included these spam phone numbers in their um, in the, the featured snippet. So people would search Google, see it in the featured snippet, call them and they'd say, hey, sure, give me the give me the code to, you know, the, the 2FA code for your Cash App account or get me an iTunes gift card, bring me the other thing, we can get you back into Facebook. Nobody picked up on this except for NPR, of all people, um, saying, hey, don't fall for this Facebook scam. But what that taught me was, okay, we have to reverse engineer how these people are doing it. And they're brilliant SEOs. What they ended up doing was just programmatically generating all of these different URLs, posting them on something like Blogger. Googlebot would then crawl the page, create it, index it, and do that at scale. And I think in looking, I was able to identify at least eight or 900 million of these things. So a lot of the job was like, cool, let's come up with rules to stop this. And then bake these rules into an, an algorithm with the data science team that looks at the features of a URL and can determine with, you know, the probability of spam. So we productionized the ability to generate spam from these URLs. And they saw what we were doing real time and would change. So they would use different number combinations or basically trying to break getting around these regular expressions to catch that. Um, but it was just fascinating to see that you know, years later, there were still examples of the spam in Google. Um, and it, it hit all of the big sites. I, I wasn't I wasn't aware of all of that. I mean, I, I didn't know that that story. Um, I think, I mean, as, as I hear you say, uh, all these things I hear about, I, I think about one of, of our clients and, you know, they essentially, it is a, a project, uh, that like involves programmatic SEO and doing things programmatically. So I think that this will have a lot of value for people who are kind of in similar, uh, situations. Um, another thing I would like to discuss is that. When searching for something like hire a UX designer, chances are that people in you know France, Germany, Spain, whatever, uh, will search for something similar in their language, right? 
So there is a lot of uh, demand, let's say, in other countries and languages besides, uh, you know, English-speaking ones. How do you approach localization at, at Upwork? Yeah, right now we're not doing any non-English content. So it is English. We do have some pages that target different countries, um, our higher pages, you know, with English text. Uh, one thing that I learned previously working on um, working on multi-language sites is there. The, it is a huge opportunity to have multi-language sites. That's that's something that everybody wants to get to. There's just a lot of complexities in terms of the product of how to do that. Um, but I found a lot of really interesting insights in terms of English is a it's a universal language. Like it, even in countries that you wouldn't expect it, you'd see a lot more volume in English than than one would realize. So it's whether it's expats living there or folks that are there that just search in English, um, it's good to have both. I, I can't speak to any plans for the future in terms of localization or how that works, but uh, I, I can just say keep an eye on us. It's it's clearly a very big opportunity, but it's not something that uh, that I can speak to at the moment. What are your thoughts on SG? Uh, by the way, for people who are not aware of the acronym, SG stands for Search Generative Experience. It's something that Google introduced in their Google I.O. event in May uh, 10th. And uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on whether you're taking any steps or actions at Upwork to prepare for the change. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm probably the same as all the other SEOs. As soon as we could get it, we got in and started playing with it and doing queries in our, our space to see how it how it works. And I think it's interesting. Um, I haven't personally seen a lot of value out of it. A lot of the queries that I do are kind of job related or search related for for you know employment. And it's kind of like I don't I don't want you to tell me about jobs. I want to see what jobs are there. So I don't know if it's great for the current niche that I'm in. But in terms of preparing for it, I think it's the same as preparing for every kind of shift in our industry. It's There are core fundamentals and basics that will always remain. And there's going to be things that happen and things change. But if you really focus on the fundamentals of like really improving your product, so getting rid of unnecessary redirects, making sure your 400s and 500s are clean, having great content. Um, writing great content, having a strong editorial team, having you know editorial standards, and just trying to create awesome content, and or improving the templates that you have if you're doing programmatic scaled um, template areas. It's when you work on these large scale programmatic things that the best thing you could do is just constantly improve slowly. I mean, if it's incremental improvements, as long as you're improving, you're going in the right direction, and when that happens at scale, it just it tends to to uh, to kind of overshadow all of these different changes that really that there's nothing we can do. Like it's here, we don't know how people are going to use it yet. So what you can focus on is really I try to focus on what we can control, and what we can control is the quality of our site. So we were leaning into that. Speaking of what we can control and the quality of our sites, uh, what are your thoughts on AI content? Yeah, this is a, oh gosh. Um, so I think there is a lot of room in content for AI. Yeah. Personally, with the experiments that I've done and the work that I've seen, I don't trust it to do long form content. Um, and you know, we have a really strong content team here who, you know, we, we help create briefs. We kind of work with SEO on, on finding topics and helping write, but the, the writers are very, very strong. 
And I think that you, leveraging AI for things like title tags or meta descriptions is a lot lower risk than like full on content. But I know a lot of folks are just pumping out content via AI. And the only thing that kind of concerns me and what I have to think about in terms of, you know, being responsible for a, a program at, at a company is we need to future proof it. So if we do this cool thing, we may get a lot of traffic early. And then if that goes away, like it's a lot bigger problem than us, you know, getting it more slowly over time. So we kind of focus on the long term. We're going to grow, we're going to grow responsibly, but we're going to do things the right way. And leveraging generative AI in these workflows, like that is something that we absolutely can do. But I really believe that AI content is a double-edged sword. Um, I think it's quick and easy right now, but it's it can be dangerous. And I think that folks who, SEO folks and content folks that like leverage AI to do their jobs or to make their jobs, uh, to make them more efficient at their jobs is a lot better than using it to kind of replace them. That's very much aligned with what I have in mind about uh, AI content and what we say to our clients. So uh, I'm glad to hear, uh, I was glad to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, second to last question I have for you, you know, uh, for many years now, people are like, you, you see this clickbait, uh, YouTube videos or like articles, SEO is dead and so on. But SEO is still here, right? Um, I would like to hear your thoughts on the future of SEO. If there is like, is there, if there is actually future, uh, for, for SEO professionals. And if there is, what would you say that future, you know, will look like? Oof, yeah. Um, I think the future of SEO, it, as long as there are websites, there will be SEO. And we've heard it, SEO is going to be dead, you know, I mean, 10 years. I've heard that five, six, seven times. I mean, it's, here's an SEO killer. It will never kill it. Um, I think a lot of the kind of more spammy, you know, blasting links, doing all the fun stuff that we did back in the day, like that, I think is dead. I think now more it's either you're focusing on really strong, really good, high quality content or SEO is getting pushed more in at least our world into the product realm. So product management and SEO product management is kind of this new or new-ish thing that some companies are doing and some companies aren't. Um, I think that SEO is going to be less of a marketing activity and more of a product activity where it's an investment in the product or at least in how the product is implemented for SEO professionals to be working with designers, working with the engineers who are building these to do it in a scalable, efficient, correct way where if we're spending the money to to maintain these products, like we we can leverage these products to generate SEO or generate value by taking user input, creating additional pages and additional value and, and kind of pushing that out in the world. So I think SEO is going to move a lot stronger in the product direction for kind of larger, particularly marketplaces, but larger companies, larger websites. And then you're going to have that focus still on on really strong, high quality content. And I think we, we both know, we've seen AI content. I think you can kind of tell when you read it. And I think users and readers are really smart and discerning. And if they come somewhere and they see this frequently, they're like, okay, I can't trust this brand anymore. Or they're taking a shortcut. They're giving me garbage. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, 
like I, I agree with most of the things that you that you said there. Um, the last question I have for you: Where can people find out more uh, and get in touch if they'd like to? Yeah, LinkedIn is going to be probably the best place. Not a not a big social media person, but uh, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So that's great. We will drop it in the show notes, Brian. That was all very insightful. Thank you very much for coming on and like sharing your knowledge and uh, wisdom. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to a follow-up discussion like this. Yeah, thank you, George. Appreciate it. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part. You can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com/awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.